We are in the middle of the 19th chapter of First Kings. We're going to pick up at verse 14, so you can kind of put your uh, index finger there. We'll eventually get there. So the center portion of chapter 19. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would focus our thoughts now and, and calm our hearts and, and quiet our souls so that we can hear your still small voice and speak to us, Lord, through your God-breathed word that we have here. Change our lives, Lord. Change our perspective. Comfort us. We, we need to hear from you. Our souls long to, to know you, to hear, and to touch you, Lord, to be touched. Even tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you don't have to raise your hand to answer this question, but I was wondering how many of you have ever had the unfortunate experience of being let go from a job? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm already going to admit it myself. <clears throat> Back uh, many years ago, when I was about 20 years old, I worked for a Greek deli uh, when I was going to Bible college, and I was... Uh, making sandwiches and manning the counter and uh, going out on catering calls, ringing up customers. You got the picture, right? Uh, I caught on fast. I really liked working there, especially the food. <laughs> the gyros. <laughs> well, the, here's the problem. The problem is, is that it was a very busy lunch hour. Very busy. Uh, it was along a strip uh, there in Scotts Valley, where there's a lot of industrial uh, business parks and not a lot of options for lunch. And so, uh, man, at 12 noon and, and slightly before, it was really a zoo in there. And so it really required a lot of speed and multitasking. Uh, not one of my stronger suits. I'm kind of a laid-back kind of guy. I was kind of born on a slow speed, type B. You know, somebody said once, you always walk like you're on vacation. <laughs> That's because I am. <laughs> In my mind, anyway. And so uh, the boss had made it clear to me after a few months on a couple occasions that I needed to pick up the pace. Uh, and after a month or two of me apparently not, uh, I, I got called in. You know, you just know it's coming. A few nice things, and then boom, you know. You're a good employee. You learn really fast. Uh, everyone likes you, but you're not quick enough. It's just not working out. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> Did you catch that? It's usually not you. It's me, but yeah. This time, it was me. Uh, so I had to hang up the blue and white colors there, because that's Greek's. Uh, Greece's flag, I should say, and I kind of faded into the sunset. No more gyros for me, <laughs> and no more extra long lines for them. <laughs> so, well, it's no fun being let go uh, like that, and tonight someone in our chapter is going to experience being stepped down. Uh, Elijah is going to be asked to step down from the position of Israel's premier prophet uh, for a similar sounding reason. He's slow to hear what the boss is asking of him. So let's get caught up. 
here we are in chapter 19, right? For those who did, weren't with us last week, we're going to pick up in verse 14, as I said. So after an incredible spiritual throwdown, this uh, miracle-working Elijah single-handedly put 450 of the false prophets of Baal to shame and then put them all to death. And so after calling down fire from heaven, as you recall, uh, which got Israel chanting, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, which got Jezebel, the wicked queen who was rooting for the other team, chanting, Elijah, you're dead, Elijah, you're dead. Now that was the stumbling point. That's where Elijah goes from hero uh, to uh, being stumbled. And so uh, he gets the queen's message, as you recall, Elijah uh, starts running for his life. He deserts his post. He uh, lets his faith give way to fear, takes his eyes off the Lord, and things just get ugly. So 100 miles south in the desert wilderness, you'll remember last time Elijah collapsed under the shade of a broom tree where he had a miraculous encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who restored him physically and then God drew him, now listen up because this is right where we jump off again. God drew him to Mount Sinai, which is very famous, for where God revealed himself to Moses and to his people in a personal way. And it's exactly what Elijah needed. He needed fresh revelation. His soul needed to be touched by the living God. He needed to learn some lessons and so that the Lord called him up there and uh, he got called into the, to the boss's office, and the Lord said, okay, so what, what has this all been about? Uh, how'd you wind up abandoning me and running from this angry woman? And you'll recall the, the response. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So uh, in this job appraisal, uh, the Lord asked for a little self-introspection, uh, and it, he comes up short. He gives the wrong answer. A lot of whining and complaining, blaming, blaming others, exaggerating, and really, in short, having a pity party. So the Lord's like, okay, this is not good. Here's, I got a plan here. He says, let me show you something. Now they're up in the mountain. He hides them in the little cleft there, just very similar to Moses. He says, let me show you something, all right? A fresh vision of me. I'm going to teach you something. You're going to have an encounter with the living God. I'm going to change your attitude, your perspective, and help you to see what went wrong in your life. And so God was hoping to restore Elijah spiritually by giving him a personal appearance uh, of his own presence. So he said, brace yourself, you recall, right? So a wind comes through and blasts a, a chasm through the, the rocky mountain ravine. Was he? But the Lord's presence wasn't there. He looked for the Lord afterwards and no, he wasn't there. Then a mighty earthquake just rattled the whole region. And he looked for the Lord. Was he in the earthquake? No. And then a fire came and it rages through the ravine and the same thing, he's looking, Elijah's looking, where's the Lord, where's the Lord? And then suddenly a, a quiet, gentle whisper, the Lord's presence right there whispering to his heart. 
and he pulls his cloak over his face and he just comes undone in the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord says to him, now tell me, what have you learned? Well, the lesson was huge for him. You know, he's, yeah, this guy was used to seeing success and his identity in the loud and the impressive and the dramatic, but the Lord was trying to say, Elijah, listen, change your focus, man. I, I don't always work in loud and in impressive and, and, and dramatic ways, but gentle tones of quiet persuasion through my word. Day to day, as simple as that. So after that whole uh, scenario, he says, now, what do you think? What have you learned? What was that all about? How'd you wind up abandoning me and running away from an angry woman? What did you just learn? Here's your second chance, verse 14. Elijah replies, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Did you notice any change of words or anything? No, nothing. Same exact response. As if God has done nothing to help him understand where he went wrong and what, in fact, he was doing there. Verse 15 so the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, which is Syria. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Oh, 17. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elijah and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So let's pause there. If you're taking notes, number one, Elijah is stepped down. All right, so he's kind of let go of sorts, you know. God will be tapping another man with a similar sounding name, Elisha, uh, for that job post, if you will. And it sure does look to me uh, like it had something to do with this job evaluation gone wrong. You know, God takes the time to work with this guy and say, are you still teachable? Can I still get through to you? Can I still talk to you? And the answer was no. No, you can't. I'm not teachable. And then the Lord says, okay, some changes are in order. The good news is he doesn't stop loving him, nor does he stop using him. He just uses him in a different kind of way, and we're going to take a look at that. Never stop being teachable, for you narrow your opportunities to be useful to the Lord. Now, the Lord is still going to use them, as I said, but in different ways. And so really important to pay attention to this opening paragraph where you might just read it and think there's not a lot going on, but there is some real keys here for uh, especially if you're feeling emotionally or spiritually down. So verses 15 and 16, Elijah is given more work to do three different uh, venues to serve God. Uh, 
Uh, he's going to facilitate uh, personnel changes on an international level. There with Haziel is going to uh, succeed this Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. Uh, it's just interesting that uh, an Israeli prophet is going to uh, kind of facilitate that new personnel change. And then in, in the order of national affairs, Jehu would replace Ahab. And then in the spiritual realm, you've got uh, uh, he himself will be replaced by Elisha. All right. So now, now I want you to notice something about God's sovereignty, and it's very encouraging. These new appointees, they have really nothing in common. Uh, but they're all going to work together to do God's will. God's going to say, I'm going to really use uh, all three of them to bring about God's judgment and justice. Verse 17 kind of says that. To those worshiping false gods and persecuting God's people, uh, God doesn't need these leaders to even know him. The king of Syria doesn't know him. The king of Israel doesn't know the Lord. And you have a believing Jewish prophet, you have a Gentile Syrian king, and you have a wicked, rebellious king uh, who is a Jew of Israel. God doesn't care. God says, I am sovereign, I'm going to work my will anyway. He doesn't need, uh, we have this mistaken idea that uh, a person has to be a Christian for God to be able to move them in his direction. He doesn't. He's working his will. Last Sunday, we saw that Governor uh, Felix, or Festus in this case, uh, was asked to deliver Paul the Apostle back to Jerusalem because the Jews wanted to kill him. But for some reason, Festus says, you know what? I think I'd rather you come to me. If you want to try the Apostle Paul, you come up here. Little does he know. He doesn't know the Lord, but God. God is directing this uh, Roman, kind of non-Christian man, unbelieving man, uh, to bring about his goodwill to protect God's people and God's interests. God will use his enemies. In the, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 45 and 44, he calls King Cyrus, his shepherd, his servant, to affect his, God's will. And God uses this pagan king, Cyrus, and Darius, uh, to allow the Jews to come back after exile and, and build the temple and rebuild uh, also the walls of Jerusalem. Putin or Obama, the G8 has now voted out Russia because they're mad at Russia, so now it's the G7. G7 means the, the greatest, uh, uh, the, the nations with the largest economies of the world have a little club together. And, and, and uh, now they voted Russia out. Do you know what? It's not about Putin. It's not about Obama. It's about the Lord. So, you know, rest assured, whoever's on the earthly throne, there's a higher throne still. And really, that's what we see God always affecting his purposes. And so I also want you to see here, before we move on, the healing virtue of serving. The healing power it is to consider others better than yourselves, as the scriptures say, and to refresh others so that you yourself can be refreshed. There's a reason God gives Elijah things to do, because it's the way out of a spiritual funk. 
It really is. And so, yes, God needs something to be done, but he knows Elijah is in a little spiritual um, downcast of soul. And so he says, hey, it's time to get busy serving me and uh, not thinking just about yourself. So we've taken note about the way out of spiritual depression, uh, the importance of rest and proper nutrition, taking care of the body, uh, the importance of fresh vision, revelation, Uh, of God to your soul, and then now the importance of serving the Lord and others. And so he says there in in verse 15, go back the way you came. What great advice for anybody who finds themselves swerved off the path. He says, trace your path back. Go back to where it all went wrong and have a new beginning. And that's what he tells them to do. Trace your steps and make a new beginning beginning. Get back to the place uh, you were with me before you got off track. And so he's going to trace his steps back there. And, you know, an honest answer to the question, you know, what are you doing here would have been nothing and not doing anything. I've stopped serving you because for whatever reasons, I got uh, sidetracked. I'm not in fellowship. I'm not serving you. I'm not talking to anybody about you. I'm just kind of Uh, self-absorbed and that's his problem that's why he's saying now I got something for you to do I want you to get out of here and go back and chop chop let's go serve me because in serving me the light will come back when you're working for me and so I got three guys who need you I want to work something in their lives and I need you and so you know I see this all the time Joshua chapter 7 and verse 10, Joshua's brokenhearted after a defeat at, at the city I. He's laying prostrate all day before the Lord. And the Lord says, what are you doing on your face? It's time to get up. Quit licking your wounds about all oh, what went wrong and, and your ego and your pride and all of this and all your questions. He says, get up and serve me. That's the answer. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 16 and 1. Uh, Samuel was despondent over King Saul's demise, but overly so. And so he's just mourning and moping about Samuel, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. And and there uh, the Lord comes to him and says, how long are you going to go on mourning for Samuel? Time to move forward, isn't it? Time to move forward. Serving God and others is the first and foremost way out of spiritual depression. It's so, it's such good advice. I give that kind of advice. When, when somebody's in my office and they're just all about them. And I, I mean, there are sometimes you've got to be all about you for at least a few minutes, right? Uh, but, but when it's just overboard and you can't see anything else but all of your problems. You know, I, I said to somebody recently, I want you to to go to your email box in your directory and five, find five, five names. And I want you to email five people something encouraging, what you appreciate about them. Just say, hey, I hope you're having a good day. I was thinking about you today. I prayed for you today. And I just want you to know what a blessing you've been to me. Try that. Oh, there was resistance. There's resistance to that. Because it's not nurturing my self-centered position right now. What do I have to think about others right now when all I want to do is feel sorry about myself? 
How about writing a card to your mom and dad? How about taking somebody out for lunch? How about volunteering? How about going to the pastor and saying, Pastor, do you need any help around here? Once a month, maybe I could straighten up some chairs or take out the trash or help make coffee? What would happen if, if you pursued somebody else instead of saying, nobody reaches out to me? And I'm like, God, all my feelings hurt and all of this. Sorry, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I saw a lot of elbows flying. <laughs> all right. Here's a quote for you. Many sadly overlook the therapeutic benefits of serving others. When we despair or find ourselves depressed, it's often because we are overly focused on ourselves and our own interests. Serving others, however, uh, tending to their needs and caring about them forces us to get our minds off of ourselves, which allows for a healthier perspective and a more productive life, and it allows God some room to come in and do some healing. So... If you have the spiritual doldrums, which is just means to be stagnant, uh, care for the body. We, we saw that last week, food and rest. Care for the soul. Uh, fresh revelations and work to do for the Lord. Let your light shine. So let your light shine, somebody. And then what I see here in a little PS in verse 18, which I love, care for the mind. Care for the body. Care for the soul which we just mentioned, and care for the mind. A healthy, healthy and right perspective and right sound thinking. P.S., Elijah, you're not the only one left. I got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee nor kissed with their mouth these false idols. What a great picture, too, of how uh, the, God's people were defiling themselves by chasing down rival thrones and rival loves, kissing with their mouths. He says, I got 7,000, man. So what is he saying? Stop telling yourself lies. You want to leave your little dark prison of despondency? Then how about the truth once in a while? How about whatever things are right and true? Let your mind dwell on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Bingo. Stop saying, Elijah, I'm the only one. My work has been a failure. I've been working for years and there's no converts. I'm impacted no one. Everyone's abandoned me. My ministry's a failure. God's lost my address. <laughs> no one likes me. My life doesn't matter. Nothing I do is right. I don't know where I came up with all of these. But. <laughs> Elijah, by the way, stop. Stop telling yourself lies. You know full well you're not the only one. And everybody's trying to kill you? There's one lady. <laughs> he says everybody. Well, Jezebel is scary, but she's not everybody. So actually, here's the truth. He says, I've got thousands who aren't making out with the demon idols. All right, that's what he has. That's his picture. You've got more friends than you think, buddy. You've had more impact than you know, and things are much brighter than you're painting them to be, so just stop and have an attitude adjustment. Amen? Amen. 
I feel better now. <laughs> the truth isn't as nurturing, one writer said, to your self-centered condition, but in the end, it will do more good than pampering yourself with a lie. I'm going to repeat that. The truth isn't as nurturing to your self-centered condition, but in the end, it will do you more good than pampering yourself with a lie. Speaking of having more friends than you know, Elijah, let me introduce you to your new best friend, Elisha. All right, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. We'll go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Okay, so number one, we see Elijah stepping down, and we see Elisha now, number two, stepping up. Now, Elisha's calling here. Uh, Elisha is coming on board, and he's going to accompany now and be a uh, companion for Elijah. And one of Elijah's complaints, of course, is I'm the only one, and nobody likes me, and I have no friends, right? Uh, but now he does. And so really, what he, he really needed a friend. And God, so God is working on many levels, and one of the levels is to minister to uh, Elijah. You know, somebody now to be willing to learn from this older prophet, somebody he could mentor and disciple and pour his life into, and hope. Elijah has hope because he wants his ministry to go on after he's gone from the scene, and so this young guy is going to be the one. So I notice now Elijah goes in reverse order to what he's been told, uh, but I think it's because what he goes to where it's most pressing. I mean, if he doesn't get some help and strength and support, with a friend like Elisha, you know, he may never get to the other two. And so he goes to find this friend uh, first. And so uh, Elisha's at work when the call comes, verse 16. Uh, they're just, they've gone now, uh, he's gone rather, 150 miles north, right up to south of the Sea of Galilee. So he's right up there. That's where Elisha is from. And so uh, Elisha's family's kind of well off. They've got uh, 24 expensive uh, tractors. All right. So we know that. Uh, you know why you're told that? Because Elisha's about to leave and he's going to have to count the cost. He's got a well established family and they've got some money and they're doing better than most people in Israel. And so uh, this, this call is going to cost him something, and that's why you get that little extra information. Now, notice in verse 19, in true Old Testament prophetic style, Elijah doesn't say a word. He just takes his cloak, his, his prophet's garb, and he drapes it over this guy who's plowing and doesn't say a word but keeps walking. I think it's just a test. Like, is this really the guy? I mean, if he's a prophet... 
in the likes of uh, Elijah, he better be able to understand and know what's going on. Interesting, the word in Hebrew for that cloak, NIV has cloak, it's better to go with King James with mantle because it's, it's kind of like a pelt. It's a hide with fur that prophets somehow were distinguished from other people. It was like kind of a clerical collar of sorts. It set people apart as that's a man of God. And the mantle, the word in the Hebrew can mean glory or praise or honor, that kind of thing. So it was the separation of God's anointing on that prophet. And so he takes that and over the shoulder and puts it on this younger man, and uh, we're not surprised that the guy who's supposed to be the next Elijah really gets it, you know. And so his response is immediate. This is important, the call of God. When God's calling a human soul, the soul needs to respond. Very, very important. So uh, no doubt the Holy Spirit's prepared Elisha for this sudden uh, kind of uh, incident that comes up so abruptly. The cloak falls over, the Holy Spirit speaks, Elijah's look on his face, and he keeps walking, like looking back, like, are you getting this, pal? And uh, he's, he gets it, Elisha gets it. Verse 20, he chases Elijah down, he leaves his oxen right there, and his one request is, let me go home and say goodbye to my mom and dad, and then let's do this. Now. Uh, Elijah says, of course, go, say goodbye. But here's my question for you. What just happened to you? Who just called you, me or you? Me or God, rather. Uh, take the seriousness of the call of, of God that just happened to you uh, to heart. Now, perhaps some Christians uh, may have a misunderstanding about Elisha's uh, request and misjudge him uh, if you're familiar with the Gospels in Luke chapter 9, you may think that uh, Elisha did something carnal by requesting to go home first and talk to mom and dad and say goodbye. But listen, there's a big difference between acting with loving consideration and responsibility, like wanting to go home and kind of uh, uh, say goodbye, and making an excuse to put off God's call, which is what Jesus was talking about. Let me show you the verse that I'm talking about in context of Luke chapter 9. Now, Jesus, in context of saying that somebody, if you hear the call of God, you should not go home to talk to mom and dad. And we're going to read that together. The context is correcting misunderstandings about the call of God and people who are using uh, things as excuses. So he's correcting them. It's, a, it's quite a different thing uh, when you're using a natural uh, thing like going somewhere to say goodbye to dad as a real thing or if you're using it as an excuse. Here's, here's, that, uh, here's that section Starting at 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, 
But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's take them one at a time. Uh, Jesus responds to the first guy uh, who is emotionally reacting and the guy with the warm fuzzies and the stars in his eyes, his heart's been touched, and he says, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And the Lord says, just so you know, uh, we're camping out. We don't, we don't have like a nice hotel room in Jerusalem. So just so you know, uh, if you don't mind uh, wondering and praying about and having faith for our next meal and where we're going to lay our heads, then that's cool. So he's correcting the first guy, all right? So, uh, so the second one, Jesus says, follow me. And he says, let me first. Oh, whenever you say, let me first, <laughs> me first, uh, just uh, it's not good. Uh, bury my father. Now, in Israel, in the Middle East, you bury your dad the day he dies. So he's not talking about his da dad just died. He's saying, you know, it'll be way easier for me to receive the call of God and obey God's voice as soon as my dad passes from the scene, for whatever reason. Then I'll be able to follow. And he says, the, the Lord is saying, do not let any social or family obligations of the spiritually dead world keep you from coming to life when God comes calling. You need to respond to God when your time comes. And so God says, you better honor your mother and father. And so that's not what he's talking about. We are to honor our father and mother, but not use it as an excuse not to serve the Lord or listen to his voice or respond to when he's calling. Now, now closer to home, verse 61 uh, First, let me go home and say goodbye to my family. If only that were the truth or the case. That's not at all, because of the context here is they're, they're, they're being disingenuous. They're not really, of course, love is not rude. Jesus, of course, would say, of course you go home and you tie things up and you be responsible and you give two-week notices and all of that. That's the gospel way. But don't kid around with saying, ah, uh, let me go back and say goodbye. God, the Lord just knows the guy's heart. And says, you know what? You're just trying to buy time. And Jesus is trying to love him into reality by saying, you know what happens? As soon as you go home, the conviction, the thing that you felt, it's going to grow cold. They're going to have conversations. What do you think you're doing? Where do you think you're going? How are you going to make a living? Oh, I never thought about all those things. And then how about the enemy? How about spiritual forces of darkness? So Jesus protecting him with a kind of a slap abrupt the face there, very abruptly. Uh, he's saying the opportunity may be lost and gone forever. Listen, as blunt as I could be, souls are in hell right now because they were in a gospel service on a Sunday. They heard the call and they said, I'm going to go home and think about this. They were serious. They were moved. They felt good. Hey, I should. I should. Hey, that, that sounded, it made a lot of sense. They didn't discount it. They didn't say no. They said, Dah, I need this. I probably will. I probably should. Let me just think about it. 
And then in Luke chapter 8, the birds of the air came and the seed that was sown by the path that missed the heart. The birds of the air come and take it away so that they can't be saved. The birds of the air, the evil one, Jesus said. The seed missed the target because the person said, I'm just going to wait. So all that to say, we take God's call seriously. Elisha had every intention on coming back. He burnt the plow equipment to cook the farewell dinner on. No going back now. The tools of his trade are gone. And I love this. I love this. A, a great quote about this passage. Thank you for that scripture, by the way. When God calls us to himself, now speaking about him taking his tools of his trade and and kind of demolishing them and using them for firewood to cook the farewell dinner on. I'm going to make it hard for him to change his mind afterwards. Well, you know what? I think I'm going to stay a few days. Well, whoa, where do you, where's the plow? <laughs> yeah, burn, right? And he did that on purpose. So let me get back to the quote. When God calls us to himself and away from something else, we ought to follow Elisha's example and do away with the links to the past that can get in the way and sabotage our new life with him. A job that hinders you. More money on Sunday. Less God, less fellowship, less ministry, but more money. I'm not talking about being forced into working on Sunday where we have to, and there are no other options. I'm talking about when you have viable options, but there's more money on Sunday. I'm going to leave that between you and the Lord, but I think you know what, where, I'm, where I would decide. A job that hinders you, a relationship that stumbles you, a sin that besets you. What did Jesus say? <laughs> he said, is it as near and dear to you as your dear right hand? You probably need your near and dear right hand. But you know, if that's the problem, chop it off, get rid of it so that you can get to heaven. Sure, you'll get to heaven with missing a hand, as it were, figuratively speaking. But isn't that better than taking both your good working hands and being thrown, Jesus' words, into the lake of fire, into hell, cast into hell? Is it your foot? Is it where you go? Is it, is it as near and dear to you as a foot? Just get rid of it, man. Is it your eyeball? Pretty necessary. He says, why don't you just gouge that out? Go to heaven happy with only one eye. Who cares? You made it to heaven. Hallelujah. You went through life kind of missing one eye. Whatever your one eye is or whatever your one foot is and whatever your one hand is. Near and dear to you like you can't live without it. Get rid of it. So it doesn't suck you away from God. Even if you do remain saved and I believe that we always, we, if you are saved, you're saved. But but the damage it can do even to a Christian who retains their salvation is just terrible. 
And so he burns the plow, cuts it up. How many doors back do you have? How many friends that you're still keeping right there? I just will unclick a little click. I can still connect. All the secret little ways, you know. You even put something on your computer so everybody gets an email. But you have another way that nobody else knows about. Who's that helping? That's not helping you to keep the plow. You know, I burn this plow, but I got a plow in the back and no one knows about it, right? You get rid of this plow, you get rid of that plow, you get rid of every plow in sight. Well, that takes a lot of courage, okay? You want to please God? You want to be blessed by him or not? This is where the chapter ends, and this is where our reflections end as well. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the lessons in just a short uh, couple paragraphs, Lord. We thank you for the truth that sets our hearts free. We ask, Lord, that we could be teachable so that we would be always usable by you, God, and that we would always respond to the call of God on our hearts in an immediate way and not play games and procrastinate with you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. Let me tell you what was in my mind when I wrote down a job that hinders you. Somebody who had a drinking problem took a job as a bouncer in a bar. That's what I was thinking about. I wasn't, I'm not thinking about if you work on Sunday, dear Christian, whom I love. A lot of people have to work on Sundays. In my estimation, if God gives you choices like that, then you have to lay some things out and make a decision based on, you know, between your heart and the Lord using wisdom. And so just so, just so you don't have to email me later this week, <laughs> I'm doing email control right now. All right. <laughs> I had to work on Sundays when I took a job at Pepsi and, and the gal who told me I would never have to work weekends, she was fired because she was incompetent. <laughs> and then I found out I was working four tens right through the weekend. And so I went into the boss and I said, hey, church is really important to me. And ha there happens to be a law that says employers have to bend over backwards on Sundays to help us to go to worship. Well, I didn't know if that were totally true, but I did hear a rumor once. <laughs> And so they allowed me to go to church on Sunday. I went in my Pepsi uniform, which is humiliating. But uh, I was able to go to church. So have grace. There's grace. There's grace. We just want to do things that don't hinder our walks with the Lord. Amen? All right. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, now we ask that you would dismiss us in your peace, that you'd fill our hearts with great joy. God, we just, we want to take these truths, put them into practice, and be blessed. 
We love you tonight, Lord. Just minister, even into the night hours, some of these things help us to hear the Holy Spirit and be changed. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. There's prayer at the cross. And uh, if not, we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.